Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we discuss the technologies, the companies, and the people that we believe are shaping the evolution of retail. Today, we're joined by Kaylin Welch, the EVP of Business Development and the co-owner of Fast Sensor. Kaylin, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. I'm excited too. Anne's never met you. And so this is kind of our introduction. Oh, wait, you guys did meet. That's right. I forgot. Where did you guys meet? We met at the happy oh, hour at NRF. Right, at NRF. That's right. That's right. Okay. I totally Kaylin, forgot. Kaylin, he just forgets about I do. things I, like that. I forget. You, I, I remember you too. I, I, I mean, yeah. well, the reason I forget too is because how we met, I think is, I don't know. It's so memorable to me. It was like a big, so I, I don't want to offend you, but it's totally apropos in my life. It was kind of a nerd fest around Retail technology. What, where were we at? We were at the, what was it, the Blue Star Conference out in Florida? Blue Star Executive Summit in Key West. And yes, it was a, a bit of a retail tech nerd function. And I think that <laughs> so, uh, we enjoyed it. Yeah, it was awesome. I think, you know, you, you presented and I presented. And, and, you know, through that conversation, we just, you know, started striking up a conversation in the alcoves, you know, during the breaks. And I was really impressed by what you guys do. Uh, and I think what started that conversation really, I think in, in my speech, and I've talked about this a lot in my writing, uh, in terms of, you know, what is omni-channel retail or what is new retail? And there's always three legs to that stool. And I always say it's, you know, it's about, it's about cloud commerce. It's about the application layer or the system of recording devices that you have set up in your store. And it's about, uh, data analytics and specifically location analytics. Yep. And that's what you guys do. That's what Fast Sensor is all about. So, if you will, tell the audience a little bit about exactly what it is Fast Sensor does. Sure, no problem. Uh, so, generally, what we refer to it as is footfall analytics or consumer behavior tracking and shopper analytics. We effectively, passively, and anonymously will pick up signals that are being emitted from people's personal devices. We're able to locate those signals down to one square meter of accuracy. We have about a 90 to 95% passive penetration. And then the real kicker and our real, real differentiation is that we use artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms that are about seven years evolved to study that behavior, look for patterns, and ultimately create metrics and outputs and dashboards and analytics that retailers and event organizers use to optimize their business. And so... How does one get into that, my friend, Kalen? How, do, how does one say, you know what? That's where I'm going to devote my time. What's your background that led you to uh, do all of the that you just said? I, I decided I was going to do that at 21. 21. <laughs> no, I, I had an interesting path. I originally started doing uh, process and strategy consulting with Accenture, actually at the time, Anderson Consulting back in the late 90s. Worked in communications, high-tech, electronics, and high-tech in the Bay Area during the dot-com boom and bust, built a lot of uh, specific strategies around software implementation into the market. We were consulting with companies like Novell. I think I built their licensing 2000 strategy, dating myself a little oh, bit. Oh, wow. Okay. That seems better than the North Star strategy. <laughs> I like that name. A little, little bit different. Yeah. Uh, so from there, moved into a small agency that was retail-focused. Uh, didn't know what it would turn into, but after being on the road and working 90 hours a week for a few years, wanted to kind of uh, settle a little bit, uh, wound up falling in love with the business model. And what we did at the previous company was shopper analytics solutions for retailers. We brought in large technology solutions, including learning management systems and platforms into large retailers like Best Buy, Walmart, Costco, Sears, Fry's, et cetera. Um, I sort of grew up in that business 
we created, um, actually I, for many years, built a partner model with the retailers, penetrated about 35 of them, brought in solutions, partnered with them, and effectively took over all of that, those back-end LMS solutions for many of those key retailers. Uh, we also did in-store solutions. So I learned about retail, uh, working directly with these large retailers, what makes them tick and move, and what were their pain points that we were trying to solve, given my sort of consultative perspective and background. And what I kept coming across, um, and what I neglected to mention is that this small agency was acquired by Omnicom within a couple of years. I was part of that, mm-hmm. and then worked within the Omnicom network for about 15, 16 years uh, as VP Global Business Development culmination, but also interagency business development lead. So got to know a lot of agencies, a lot of experiential marketing agencies, a lot of retail shopper marketing agencies, and everybody struggled with the same thing. We would all get together and talk about, you know, how do we take our businesses to the next level? How do we share customers? How do we grow? And what came out constantly was ROI measurement. Right. KPIs, metrics for success. How do we prove our value? And there's always been this challenge. And at the same time, e-commerce is growing up and artificial intelligence and machine learning is hitting the e-commerce space. And people are studying movements and behaviors from heat mapping to clicks and shopping carts and conversions. And nobody figured out how to do that in the physical environment, the real world, the brick and mortar locations. And so when I came across Fast Sensor, which was founded by Danny Bashara in Brazil originally in 2013, uh, I was skeptical, to be honest with you, because it seemed too good to be true. And uh, over a number of months, I learned that it was in fact true. Uh, and ultimately led to my joining as a partner into the business to help take us global. And so that's kind of the roundabout story as to what got me here. But I learned about pain points and challenges and solutions in the industry in some very large companies, found a smaller company that had what I believe was a solution, and I went all in is the short answer. Yeah, and that's why I want to make sure we we touched on that too, because like you said, I think you said sixteen years, and I am dating you intentionally, but <laughs> sixteen years of, of of working with retailers to understand where the pain points are, and I think you hit you hit it on the head too in terms of what we always talk about, which is the digital world has the type of understanding in terms of knowing, so to speak, what's happening on those web pages each and every day, each and every second, you know, what people browse, what pe- what people add to their cart, what they abandon in their cart. Whereas in the physical world, we don't really have that, you know, analytical equivalent of, say, the mouse on a browser or, say, as you use the words, the footfall in a store or the movement in a store and what that means. Why in your mind then, getting to the question, why in your mind is, is, is understanding the footfall patterns in a store so vital, you know, in the evolution of retail? Well, great question, Chris. It's, it's about understanding your customer journey. Everybody's talking customer journey. Everybody's talking omni-channel and they're trying to connect physical and digital. But if there's no comparable metrics in the brick and mortar and the physical environment, then how do you manage your business across those multiple uh, channels, right? It's very difficult. So having that sort of baseline comparable metric to look at that behavior, benchmark it, compare it, and then measure against it as you make marketing movements, operational movements, and changes in your environment to optimize and of course, reduce costs where possible. Uh, it's just important to have a measuring stick. So our tagline is measuring customer engagement for ROI. It's very simple, very straightforward. We're a measurement tool. And in an area where people don't have any visibility, 
And so it's interesting because a lot of retailers think they know their customers. I would contend they don't. I've got many stories to suggest that they don't. Right. Um, they might know what they buy. They might know how they browse and behave online. But the physical environment is a very different space. So somebody used the analogy as us being a spotlight into those dark areas that they cannot see. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a couple examples. Queue management and queue abandonment. Retailers think that I sold as much as I could have because I was open. Well, the answer is no. You probably had at certain key times of the day, 30, 40% of your revenue walk out the door because a customer got frustrated with an extra two minutes in line and left. Mm-hmm. And they don't know what that is. We can tell them that today. Mm-hmm. They don't know, for example, that a certain product category has high interest from a customer segment. And all they know is that the point of sale suggests that nobody's buying this particular product or category. Right. You should move it from the store. What they've missed is that blind spot of, I have high customer engagement and dwell time. There's very little conversion to point of sale. And they might've made a huge mistake by abandoning in a category or product without realizing that they had an opportunity to really dominate in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I, oh. th- I think part of that too is like, I think the way I kind of always sum that up too is that, yeah, resource have a good understanding of what's happened, you know, the, uh, of what happens after, given the sale. And therefore, what comes from that? But knowing all of what you just said prior to sale, prior to transaction, is still so much of a blind spot. Yeah, and I would I would add too. I think you know, uh, Kaylin, we're both Omnicom alum. I almost said Omnitalk alum, but Omnicom alum. That's um, right. What What I'm really curious about is as you as you take this into the experiential marketing tracking vertical, I guess. Yep. Um, I I want to know you. You talked about how you know retailers only know what they know and what they can gather from the data that's currently coming in. But I imagine that in some of these, these experiential marketing events, there are more people showing up or more people interacting with, um, with an exhibit than say the Gen Z or millennial audience that they might be going after. And this might be an opportunity to kind of figure out what experiential marketing looks like, especially as you start to think about like retailers inside of malls and you have a much more diverse audience coming to um, your experiential event. Can you talk a little bit about how you are working in in that vertical? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So retail and experiential and, and even sort of trade show environments are slowly converging in our perspective. Everybody's talking about experiential, customer experience. How do they engage um, people are talking about malls being experience centers. It's no longer just a place to quote unquote shop. People want to come and be entertained and to ultimately experience a brand. And so what they're, all of these brands are investing in these activities. They're moving sometimes literally from a trade show into a mall and or into a parking lot event or any other environment. Uh, automotive people are doing a lot of arrive and drives and sort of lifestyle events. What they're missing is the measurement of that experience, A, which we provide for them. Same technology, slightly different metrics. You know, we'll look at how many people walk by your event, how many people with an eye shot and give a CPM metric hmm. on impressions. We'll measure time in view for your brand. And if you go back to your CMO and he or she says, how did we do? And you say it was busy, then they're probably going to look at you and say, you need to find another job. Because that's not an acceptable answer anymore. When the digital team is saying, I have, you know, pay-per-click of this amount, this much conversion, this much, you know, actual attribution and purchase, and you tell them that it was busy. It doesn't go very well. 
Yeah, it, it gets back to what you were saying earlier about how you have to have the same measurement and, and data for online and offline. Can you talk a little bit more about what the platform provides and the data that you're collecting? Absolutely. So the short version of how our tech works, just to kind of paint the picture, is that we passively gather signals, again, being emitted from your personal devices. We get a 90 plus percent passive penetration. It's often 95, 96, 98. Basically, if you have a device on your body and is turned on, we will pick you up. Now, we like to say you can't hide from Fast Sensor. It is anonymous and passive. We do not know who you are. Which and, is what, and what does that mean? Well, so if we are tracking these signals that are needed from your devices, the question often arises of privacy and privacy policies and compliance. Everybody is hypersensitive at this point in history to things like GDPR, CCPA, HIPAA, even HIPAA, um, and you know, I have a 27-page document outlining how we are globally compliant. We believe we're the only technology that can do what we do with maintain the maintenance of compliance uh, from a privacy perspective. So a lot of our work is passive anonymous. Uh, if you opt in, we can connect the profile to the journey. But effectively, what we're doing is getting these passively emitted signals we're doing a process, this is going to get a little geeky here, called radio okay. frequency trilateration, which is like triangulation. Think of an indoor GPS system. That's kind of a, a very simple version of how we would be, should be thought of technologically. We locate you down to one square meter from multiple sensors, compare, locate, and then track step-by-step step, effectively a breadcrumb trail of your journey. That could be through that experiential activation. How long did it take you to register? How long did you, ex, you know, spend your time at uh, the first stage or how long did you drive the car for? You could go on and on and on with a level of detail, but think of the entire journey being tracked and then us providing those metrics like impression, walk by, conversion in, and even studying the behavior down to browser engager behavioral attributes. We are a behavioral analytics company at the core from a software perspective. Then we can look at the dwell time and attraction rate by area, look at how people convert, and, and A-B test all sorts of marketing movements that they might deploy in that environment. Does that answer your question? It does, and it does, and I want to click into it even more because I think it's important. I think there's, you know, there's so much talk of the digitization of the physical world and whether it's through you know, an Amazon Go computer vision-based system, whether it's through some type of scan and go implementation. All of those have different different implica implications for the user as the consumer, different implications for the retailer. So if you would, I want to talk more about that because in terms of what you described, what does that mean as the consumer shopping? And then what does that mean for the retailer? Secondly, in terms of what they're implementing and what they're having to put into their overall store, let's say operation. So we'll start with the consumer. From a consumer perspective, the majority of our work is anonymous and passive. We are looking at an aggregated quote unquote, herd behavior, studying that we operating at a 95% confidence interval on our predictions of behavior, who is an employee, who is a visitor or customer, what is a fixed asset, our system can discern that automatically. Okay. So we're tracking that customer journey, but we're looking at everybody at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, imagine a hundred scientists on the roof a glass roof of your retailer with clipboards in their hands, staring down and literally tracking everybody's movement behavior. We're doing that through artificial intelligence at, a, of course, a much, much more affordable rate. Uh, mm -hmm. We're taking that data, 
And we're using it with the retailer in partnership and consultation to better engage the customer, to offer a better experience, to solve customer problems like queue management, like availability of interesting product, and ultimately to meet their needs. So we're optimizing their shopping experience without taking any of their personal data away. Now, when it comes into a situation where they decide they want to share their personal information with their brand. Is that by like generally like through an app or like what type of situation are you talking about there? Yeah. So an app can, we can get an opt-in through an app, through a customer loyalty program, uh, through a captive portal with Wi-Fi, uh, through text message or QR scan. But the whole point is that there must be a trade, right? There must be value and some sort of incentive applied to the customer for them to be willing to give up their personal information. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not required, right? That's the other key point in, in terms of your system design, right? Not required and generally not implemented. Right. Uh, most of the behavioral analytics is done passively. Right. But if we do get an opt-in, there must be an incentive and or value prop back to the customer. And most customers are comfortable sharing their personal data if there is value to them. Right. Um, they get something in exchange. What does it mean for the retailers? Okay. Like that makes, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's part of the thing that I love is like, it's super simple from a consumer perspective where there's a ton of privacy here. It's set up for an opt-in should you want it in the value exchange. What does it mean for the retailer? Like, what am I actually having to go in, put into my store? How much am I having to touch my network? All those types of things. Well, I live painfully through a lot of retailer discussions about touching their network. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, we, we no longer. I need to I not take a sip of coffee when yeah, I ask I know. that question. It's a whole, a whole different show. That's a whole different show. Uh, we do not want to get involved with their firewall, VPNs, their local networks. So we actually bring our own network completely independent of all of theirs, which means the IT team is very comfortable instantly with us. And they usually leave the meetings and say, thank you very much. We're good. And we'll move on. <laughs> so that's, that's a good, good thing. So we're not touching their network. We basically deploy an array of sensors. They're about four inches by five inch by one inch. They are mounted similar to an access point. So up on the walls, up on the ceiling, they can be anywhere from nine to 40 feet up in the air. Generally would not see them. They're not going to impact aesthetics. Um, they are either operated wirelessly or wired via power over ethernet cables. And effectively, we put a small handful of them. The average smaller retailer might be four sensors and we could get into a much larger retail and we might be 10, 15, 20 sensors. You're looking at tens of thousands of square feet. Um, that is it. From there, the data is harvested privately, privately and anonymously. It's pushed to the cloud in near real time. It's hash compressed, encrypted and then transmitted. Uh, All of the processing and all the data collection is done in the cloud uh, with one of our partners. And then the retailer gets access to dashboards that very much simplify the data in consumable fashions so your store manager can receive value. They understand walk-by, conversion, hour-by-hour, day-of-the-week store traffic, and that's just the front door. Now, this is where a lot of our quote-unquote competitors stop. Right? There's a lot of computer vision companies, for example, who do door counters. Uh, we are not a door counter. We are much, much more sophisticated, much, much more in-depth. We study the entire customer journey, past the door, through the entire store, down to the square meter of accuracy, looking at their behavioral attributes, and then aggregating that using machine learning to create these very simplified outputs 
Um, again, either dashboards or the corporate teams will look at them in API or ETL type of feeds. Wow. How long does this all take, Kaylin? Usually less like, than five minutes if we're fast. Um, obviously, I'm kidding. Five minutes, five minutes to produce the report? <laughs> yeah. Uh, real, it's happening in real time. So once we're deployed... Okay. How long does uh, the deployment take? Uh, deployment, it depends. The average store takes X number of hours. There's some sort of work done up front where we get a general layout. We determine how many sensors, our engineers make recommendations. We partner with the retailer to get the deployment done, usually off hours, so it's not impacting any customer experience. From there, we need about seven days worth of data for our unsupervised artificial intelligence to learn the specific environment. It will be building its data set and growing and learning that particular space. And I like to use the example of two different Starbucks stores. There's one at a corporate park and there's one at a college campus. Are they going to have a similar customer journey? The answer is no. So we're not telling the system what to look for. We don't say that a journey and, a, and the average visit duration is one minute or more. The system tells us that. So your average visit duration at the college campus might be 42 minutes because somebody's studying in between classes. Mm -hmm. At the corporate park, your average visit duration might be four minutes. That's just one of the many variables we'll look at. But that information is, again, being compiled by the artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms. And then we create a visitor profile. And then with that data, we're then categorizing each individual data point or user as they come into the location to continue to, to create that uh, business intelligence for the retailer. And along those lines, one of the things that I thought was really interesting when we met in Florida, you guys like to eat what you cook too. Like you told me a story where you just, everything you just described, you have on display, right? In California. Mm -hmm. And the, the anecdote you shared with me was like, you'll take prospective people out to lunch at a restaurant and basically show them how all this works in real time. Is that, talk, talk about that. Yeah, it's a great way to take the abstract and the black box of AI and bring it to life. At the end of the day, what the customer, so to speak, is buying is data and analytics that are going to help them improve their business. So what we do often to demonstrate the tech is either do a trade show or experiential marketing activation measurement, and we'll show them live dashboards of what's happening in those environments. We'll show them wrap-up reports. We'll show them sort of outputs or literally in that restaurant, show them a live dashboard of what happened that day, what happened yesterday, what happened the week before. And we could, of course, go back in time as much as possible. It's always interesting to see people's faces react when you say, by the way, we're tracking you right now. If you're not aware of it. It's completely safe and anonymous. But really what it brings is a sense of calm and understanding that we're not doing anything that is uh, too intrusionary, so to speak. We are ultimately just looking at aggregated anonymized data sets of the entire customer population that will help the retailer understand what's happening in their environment and how do they optimize to increase and enhance that experience. And where are the opportunities at mass? That's, that's, that's an awesome point. Absolutely. And allows the customer to eventually have a better experience in the store, I would imagine, too. I mean, we can't, we can't ignore that. Right, part where it matters also. the most. Right. I mean, that's the other thing, too, I think about that, that I like with this thread that we're going here and go off on my soapbox a little bit. Everyone talks about personalization, right? Like, yeah, fine, personalization one-on-one. -on -one, but there is still so much you can understand from a macro-level understanding of your consumers in terms of the actions that you can take that are going to ultimately drive a better consumer experience and drive overall better profitability and sales, too. Right, yeah. Um, so, Kaylin, 
what's next? Where where are you going to go in the next 2020, year of 2020? How are you thinking about uh, where you're going to take the product? Well, we're continuing to always refine the product. We have a very, very strong innovation team. Frankly, they build out and enhance the product faster than we can sell it sometimes and deploy it. Um, but where we're going right now is large-scale deployment with enterprise-related retail customers. Um, and by the way, retail for us is anywhere people move and have the opportunity to transact. So retail, don't just think of your average Walmart, Best Buy, or 7-Eleven or Starbucks. Uh, automotive is retail, mm-hmm. right? Um, stadiums are retail. We're actually deployed in the Denver Broncos doing queue management, helping for them, and, and we'll be moving inside the the stadium. Um, again, we mentioned car dealerships. We do a lot of business in the automotive space. Quick serve restaurants. We've done work with some very large global brands to help them understand their environment. So first take that retail and understand that there's a lot of ground and addressable market that we're trying to cover. Uh, we're continuing to get the word out, continuing to refine the partnership and best practices with these retailers as they challenge us with new questions. We help them provide data sets to answer them. Um, and then the other area that we continue to focus heavily on is this entire trade show experiential marketing activation. Uh, we've really found no competition in the space that's anywhere near us from a technology and a value prop perspective, as well as a cost perspective uh, and, and deployment. So I'd say we're going to continue to penetrate those markets, expose uh, from an agency standpoint in the trade show experiential marketing space. We're learning to partner more than sell to. So we're a SaaS company, and with agencies who build these activations and booth and displays, we're helping them with SaaS products so they can take our technology and deploy it themselves. Hmm. Um, we've launched a self-training solution, so you no longer even need a tech, quote-unquote, involved in the deployment. You can literally nearly plug and play our sensors. They will learn an environment and create metrics for you. So that's a huge, huge step. Eventually, we may even get to the point where we would sell direct. Um, so if you owned a small, single mom-and-pop retail store and you wanted metrics, you could buy from FastSense or self-deploy. So that's kind of the long-term vision. Mm. In general, it's getting the word out, exposure. Uh, we are going global. We're currently operating in about 17 countries, uh, of course, heavily focused on uh, North America, Europe, LATAM, being pulled into to Asia, PAC, but uh, a lot of ground to be covered with our existing set. And then we have multiple tricks in our bag for sort of next products, probably two or three that we're ready to deploy, but we want to continue to push our current current products out. I'm especially interested in where you're going with the experiential marketing stuff too, because I feel like we hear hear that almost every day that that that's the biggest ask from from retailers and brands is to have these experiential events, but um, agencies are still struggling to to prove out the ROI for that. So, um, yeah, and the trend of digital just going physical. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just, I mean, we we're just at Etel West and right. that was the entire topic of the show, basically. Yeah. Justifying those brands going into bricks and mortar. You, yeah. You need this type yeah. of data. All right, man. Are you ready? I can't wait to do this, given just some of the things that have already popped in this conversation. But are you ready yeah. to play How Millennial Are You? Uh, sure. I don't think, <laughs> but I think I'm more than I probably think. So let's play. <laughs> I have a feeling that's true, too. <laughs> All right. First question, when the option is available at 7-Eleven, the grocery store, are you pulling out mobile payment or using cash or credit card? Definitely mobile. And 
The only challenge I have is using the business card versus the personal card. And sometimes oh, that I is a that challenge. Up. Yes, that is a challenge. <laughs> I, I just say that I do that. I accidentally charged my $150 dinner to OmniTalk. Do you guys, right? Yeah, no. Yes, we've had to have those conversations. Yeah. Do you guys actually, I don't even have it on there for that reason. Like it's just too cumbersome. That part is kind of cumbersome for me. Yeah, I'm learning because I've messed up a few times and then I have to go share with my team. Whoops, sorry about this. How do we resolve this? So anyway, yeah. yes, I believe in the power of mobile and I don't like to carry a lot of stuff on my body. So if I can carry a thinner wallet with fewer credit cards, I'm a happy person. Amen to that. And Al Suarez at Apple Pay, if you're listening, listen to that pain point. We got to figure <laughs> that one out. All right. Next question. In the last week, how many times have you ordered food or coffee or something else uh, from an app? Uh, probably two to three. Um, I use the food delivery services occasionally when I'm busy working and don't want to cook something or I have that certain special restaurant that will deliver to my home only through the app. Um, and I am the guy that orders from my house before I run into Starbucks, plug for Starbucks. Nice. Their app provides value to me because it creates convenience and saves me time. It's the only reason I have it in my phone. But I do use that when and ever I'm running out to business meetings. Nice. I think you're two for two here. Yeah. All right, let's, Doing okay. Let's go for the last one. If you could only use one social app, what would it be and why? Uh, personal or professional? Just one. Got to pick. Just um, one. Yeah. Can't take it away. The one they can't I, take away from you. I would say LinkedIn, believe it or not. Yeah, um, you're a founder. That's what we keep hearing. Yeah, it's it's something that I find educational, not too personal. Uh, I, I'm shied away from a lot of the social media in the last X number of years. You know, was an early Facebook adopter, very light early Instagram or later Instagram and very light. I understand Snapchat, um, use it occasionally just to stay up, but I can't say I have a lot of time to play. Let's put it that way. What, what is the personal one? Had we allowed you to separate it out like that? Instagram. Instagram. Okay. Yeah, Why? Which I guess is a little more millennial, but not quite as millennial as Snapchat. Yeah. Pr yeah, probably. Fair yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Or slightly overtaking it now too, probably. But yeah, what, what do you, what catches you with that one? Uh, it's not as intrusive and it is quick and easy and you get a taste and it's open to interpretation instead of people blurting out everything about what they ate and when they went to do certain activities in their day. It's a little too much. <laughs> so everybody keep it light. We're interested in your lives, but not that interested. <laughs> That's right. Just enough. Yeah, we keep, that's good. We keep hearing that. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. Yeah, on the business side, especially if you're a founder, we're seeing LinkedIn a lot. And then on the personal side now, just in, the, I would say, Ann, what do you think? Like just in the last year, Instagram is now starting to bubble up to the top. We didn't hear as much like yeah. in the first year of doing this. Yeah. But I think now it's starting to yeah, it's like, greatly overtake everything else. Yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn, 50%. Facebook, Instagram, in a dead heat, probably. Yeah. We used to hear Twitter a lot in the beginning mm -hmm. and mm. not so much anymore. Yeah. Um, all right, man, that was, that was awesome. So if people want to learn more about fast sensor, if they want to get in touch with you, uh, cause there's a lot here. And I, like I've said, I think this is a foundational piece of technology and a very easy to install type of setup. How can they get in touch with you? Where should they go? Sure. Um, uh, me personally, LinkedIn is probably the best route. I'm regular contributor and, and watcher and participant. Um, 
From the company perspective, fastsensor.com, F-A-S-T-S-E-N-S-O-R.com. Schedule a demo. One of our team will reach out and get you set up. Um, I'm happy to participate on those calls as well. Love to chat with people. Love to hear what people are trying to solve for so we can continue to push the envelope. So fastsensor.com or LinkedIn for me personally. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for being here. Uh, It's always good to catch up. Um, I know Anne likes talking to you again for the second time as we were made very aware in the beginning. (laughs) Nice. Uh, But yeah, man, best of luck in 2020. Can't wait to see how it goes for you guys because, again, I think this is really, really a cool concept and and one we want to see really hit the marketplace and see how it continues to perform. So best of luck in the future. And for all of those listening out there, as always, be careful out there.